Hello. Hello. <laughs> All right, enough. It's Andy from Sound of Music, and nine months later, 1967's finally upon us. Long overdue. I'm sick and tired of 67. I'm kidding. This is some of the greatest fucking music ever. But I digress because I want to just get into things. But before we do that, let's just kind of re-go over this format. First of all, it came to my attention a while back, for you longtime viewers, this channel, Sound of Music, is named after the Porcupine Tree song, Sound of Music. When I started this series back in 1965, I decided to call this series The Album Years. Who would have thought that Stephen Wilson has a podcast called The Album Years? So for the sake of not having another name related to Stephen Wilson, and this is not bashing the guy, by the way, um, decided to change the name of this series. So we're kind of calling this now Journey Through Music. Journey Through Music. And in this journey of music, we're in the year 1967. So just to recap really quick, um, I use my Rate Your Music page. My name is Andy Muzak there um, as an extension throughout this journey. So even though this is a top 10, I think I have up to 43 records just for the year uh, 1967. So check that out. That's ongoing. That's going to be the most up-to-date way of keeping up with this as opinions change. I know already my some of my rankings are a little different with 66 and 65, but for the sake of going on, they're there. Audio versions are also available on all podcast platforms. As far as this series goes, each episode we are giving a brief F overview of the year. I can talk over a year. I'm keeping that in. My five honorable mentions, which is just really 11 through 15. And this is just my way of talking about music that I love. Also, it should be noted that there will be a top 10 of my favorite tracks off of each of these 10 records that will be on Spotify and Apple Music as well. And finally, I use what I like to call the RYM, Rate Your Music, scale, which wasn't invented by Rate Your Music, but that's fine, where I give each record I talk about an out of five, and that is half decibel marks as well. So for an example, 4.5, etc. All right, but for real, we're getting into it. So 67. For 1966, I mentioned in that video that we were transitioning from expanded production, more distorting guitars, Moog synthesizers, all that fun stuff. And of course, psych rock. 67 is all of those things fleshed out, fully fleshed out. Courtesy of rocktimeline.com, which that link will be below. The Beatles released their landmark album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Paul McCartney reveals that all four Beatles have dropped acid. Elvis Presley also marries his longtime girlfriend, Priscilla. The debut album from the Jimi Hendrix Experience is released. The Monterey Pop Festival, the world's first large-scale, 200,000 in attendance to be precise, was an outdoor music festival that was held that year. That music festival was just detrimental for so many acts during that time period. 
Britain also moves to outlaw offshore pirate radio stations. More on that in a minute. The first issue of Rolling Stone magazine is published. And finally, soul music star Otis Redding and four members in his band were also tragically killed in a plane crash. The Billboard year-end top 100 chart for 1967 was a song to Sir with Love by Lulu. And the best-selling album worldwide for 1967 was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. All right, so let's just get into honorable mentions really quick. My first honorable mention, or my number 15, is The Real McCoy by McCoy Tyner. One of my favorite jazz pianists. He's played with Coltrane. Several other jazz cats of the time. Phenomenal record. I also have, by a jazz veteran, Duke Ellington's Far East Suite by Duke Ellington. Just a great late career record by the Duke. Fantastic record. I also have I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You by Aretha Franklin. Not her debut record, but her debut record on, I believe, Warner Brothers. Probably should have looked that up ahead of time. Phenomenal record, of course. Respect is off that record. It was just a breakthrough album for her. Fantastic album. Uh, I also have at my number 12, Songs of Leonard Cohen by Leonard Cohen. His debut record. Again, another fantastic record. Just barely missing the top 10. And then my number 11 is a UK psych group by the name of Kaleidoscope. Uh, there's also a U.S. version of the band as well, too. Still need to check them out. But the U.K. Uh, Kaleidoscope, they put out a record called Tangerine Dream. And again, it's just some fantastic psych pop. All right, let's get into the top 10, starting with number 10. I have The Who Sellout by The Who. Finally making my top 10, The Who. Uh, gotta be honest, probably in this series, the only Who record that's gonna make my top 10. Which means, this is my favorite Who record. During the 67 timeline, I had mentioned uh, pirate radio stations being banned by the UK. Well, ironically enough, that's essentially what the concept of this record is about. The Who Sellout is structured as a collection of unrelated songs that are interspersed with these fake commercial PSAs. Uh, Mark Kempt, writer for Rolling Stone magazine, said in 2004... Pete Townsend's first and best concept album and said that he successfully does what he would overdo in Tommy and Quadrophenia. There's no fixed narrative to take away from the music. And the music is sensational. I would have to agree with that. As I just mentioned, this is kind of where I check out with The Who. Um, you know, again, I think this is a concept, at least by The Who, done right. Not overindulgent, not pompous, not over-the-top like their subsequent rock rock, uh, rock operas would become. This record opens up with one of the most underrated Who songs in their catalog, Armenia City in the Sky, which is just like unlike anything they have done before. Um, written by Speedy King from the rock band Thunderclap Newman, this song just has vocals by Roger Daltrey that are as psych-pop as you're ever going to get from The Who. By the way, disclaimer, I should mention that you will hear the terms psychedelic, psych, psychedelia throughout this episode. Because this is, as I mentioned, full-blown psychedelic. Anyways, uh, moving on, another track I really love from this record. Uh, Mary Ann with the Shaky Hand. 
Uh, this song is interesting because you get these sort of like flamingo sounding guitars. And what I like about this track is it just shows how uh, versatile uh, Townsend was as a guitar player. Another track I really love is Tattoo, just this gorgeous gem. Again, it's another uh, outlier in this in their discography, which means for me it's one of their best songs. Uh, Tattoo begins with these arpeggios that are played on both the electric and acoustic guitar. And especially when you're listening to this in stereo, the juxtaposition between the two is just really fascinating. Again, I love Roger Daltrey's vocals in this song. Kind of reminds me of... Um, a song like See Me, Feel Me off of Tommy. And then you just get harmonies throughout the four Who members throughout this track. And they're just incredible. I wish we got more of that from the Who, especially during this period. Um, towards the tail end of the record, uh, another song I love called Sunrise, which does have Pete on lead vocals. And it's one of those songs where, with all due respect to Roger Daltrey, I wish we got a little more Pete Townsend on lead vocals. Uh, there's just something about the sensitive nature to his voice that really just works with a track like this. Uh, then you have the closer, which is Rael, one and two. And this song, along with a quick one from the previous record, are both very much precursors to Tommy. Uh, this song is just so bonkers, so weird, and I love it. Uh, the last minute is why I just love The Who so much of that track. Definitely check it out. But we can't finish talking about The Who sellout without talking about I Can See For Miles. This song is unlike anything else. From the sinister riff to the very beginning, it is bar none their best song. And also, I think it's just one of the greatest songs sonically. So much so that they couldn't perform this song live for the longest time, especially during the Keith Moon era. You have complex vocal harmonies uh, that I'm sure at the time were difficult to replicate live. But also just the bonkers style of Keith Moon. I mean... Talking about a drummer that just his approach is just nonstop drum soloing. A style that can only work for The Who and unlike anybody else. Um, this song is hands down my favorite song off the record. It rocks harder than any Led Zeppelin song. And this was two years before Zeppelin was even born. I should note that I promise at some point there will be Zeppelin love. Sorry, Dan. Um... Anyways, this record, I give a four and a half out of five stars. As I mentioned, this is going to be the last Who record to appear on my list. Killer record. Check it out. All right, so at number nine, we have Are You Experienced by the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Let's get a few things out of the way with this record first, because there are a, a bajillion different versions of it. Um, so the original UK version, which has an alternate cover as well, includes the tracks Red House and May This Be Love. Whereas the US version includes Purple Haze, The Wind Cries Mary, and Hey Joe. That's the one with the definitive album cover. We'll have both of those images somewhere. One could argue that the definitive version of the record is indeed the CD version, which includes 
all of those songs from both original versions, but also includes Stone Free, 51st Anniversary, and Highway Chili. For the sake of this video, we're going to refer to both the UK and the US versions. I would say that the US version is the better version simply because it has it has the better songs. But I think the UK version has the better sequencing. I'm going to be honest with you, what kind of takes away um, a couple points, and really by a couple, half a decimal, uh, for me are... Purple Haze, Fire, and to a degree, The Wind Cries Mary. All three of these songs are fantastic songs, but courtesy to Classic Rock Radio, they've just, they've been ruined. I'm tired of hearing them. Uh, they're tracks that I solely listen to when I'm just listening to the record. But that's okay, because that leaves us with plenty of other songs to talk about that are better than those songs. Um, we'll get to those in a second, though. So Are You Experience incorporates a variety of rhythm and blues uh, to free jazz, but each track has their own individual personalities as well. For an example, a song like Manic Depression, that's blues swagger right there, total rock and roll, but also kind of a song ahead of its time in that it's not rock and roll in the traditional sense. Uh, Manic Depression was an old term used for bipolar disorder. And this song almost sounds like a sonic version of someone that's struggling with bipolar disorder. Between Jimmy's yelling, the, the, the guitar strumming throughout, it just sounds like a mental breakdown. And it's all kind of brought together by Mitch Mitchell's drumming. Uh, like anyone else in the year 1967... Jimi Hendrix records a cover of Hey Joe, but it is bar none the superior version. Uh, it definitely beats the Birds version and Love's version as well. And I just love the Beatlesque harmonies that uh, Hendrix incorporates throughout his version. Another song I love so much is a song called I Don't Live Today. I love Jimmy's guitar tone throughout this song. It's like got this acid-drenched psych sound to it. It, it rules. Um, musicologist Richie Unterberger, I probably butchered his last name, considers the lyrics to I Don't Live Today to be goth rock more than psychedelia. And I kind of find that interesting, but I also kind of understand where he's getting at. Uh, the energy that Jimmy brings on his guitar in this song, once you get to the climax of the I Don't Live Today, that was horrible, I'm sorry, we're keeping that in. Um, it's just so enthralling, so good. You've got the title track, Are You Experience? Some good old funky psych rock. A very impressionistic track. Um, there's a lot of backwards guitar and drums that were kind of ahead of their time, actually. Um, again, I love the build-up to the climax with this tune as well. Uh, with Jimmy belting out, Have You Ever Been Experienced? See, I wasn't doing it this time. <laughs> But my favorite song off this record is actually the instrumental, Third Stone from the Sun. Uh, this is just a freak out. Freak out jam that doesn't take itself too seriously, unlike most rock instrumentals tend to. Um, this song very much incorporates some West Montgomery-influenced jazz with psychedelic rock. The title reflects Hendrix's interest in science 
fiction, specifically referencing Earth's placement from our solar system, hence third planet. Um, I think what I just love about this so much is just the ambience to this piece. Again, as I said before, it, it's not an instrumental that takes itself too seriously. And I think that's why I like that, because it's just, it's not rock wankery. It, it's almost like there's just a, a soundscape that Jimmy's trying to build through just manipulation through his guitar. I wish more instrumentals sounded like this. This song's incredible. This record's incredible. It's one of the greatest debut albums of all time. Um, again, I'm giving this record a four and a half out of five. You know this year is strong if our number 10 and number nine are already four and a half out of five stars. All right, so we're going to move on to our number eight. And that's going to be a record called Forever Changes by the band Love. Not that I want every year in this series to have a nine-month gap. But at the same time, one of the benefits, maybe the only benefit to that, is a record like this. In that, this record took me forever, pun not intended, to get into. Um, this is one of those records that uh, has the critical acclaim that I was just kind of like, what do people see in this? Um, but I get it. And I get it, or got it, just as recently as two weeks ago. Um, led by the late Arthur Lee, this is a record that is just one of the most influential psychedelic rock records, specifically on the West Coast. On repeated listens, it occurred to me that Arthur Lee is using this stream of conscious like approach to his lyrics, and that could be part of the reason why this one took a while to grow. But the juxtapositions of his lyrics, they're odd upon surface level, but somehow it connects to the subject matter. I don't know. It works, though. Um, the best way I could describe it is it's like this dreamy state of bliss. And although this is definitely a psychedelic record, there are these beautiful Latin guitar uh, sounding tones throughout. Uh, there's a lot of use of Baroque and classical instruments as well that kind of make this record stand out um, among some of the other iconic psych records for this year. Um, definitely has its own identity for sure. Uh, starting with our opener, Along Again, or... Um, just a very pristine song, Spanish-style percussion throughout. There are trumpets, the acoustic guitars sound great. It creates a warm, hazy sound that I just really dig. Um, this track alone, as far as its arrangement, is on par with the best of the Beatles and anything Brian Wilson did around this time period. Another banger is a song called A House Is Not A Motel. It's a cool mix of garage and psych rock. Kind of reminds me of their last record, Da Capo. Um, mesmerizing guitar solo towards the last minute that I just dig so much. Uh, another song I really dig is a song called The Daily Planet. This song is just fucking ridiculous, and I love it. Again, pun not intended. The LA existence from the band's perspective is what this song is about. 
um, and it describes the grittiness of city life. One of my favorite lines in this track is, I feel shivers in my spine when the ice man, yes, his ice is melting. Take that for what you will. Another song I like is The Red Telephone, and this is probably the most well-known song off this record. And this is just pure psychedelic greatness. I love the lyrics to this song, um, and there's just this beautiful harpsichord that almost has an ominous sound to it as well. Again, weird juxtapositions. Another lyric I really like is from this song. Sitting on the hillside, watching all the people die. I would imagine this has to depict being an American during this time period, watching the Vietnam War occurring on TV. This record is just such a fascinating record. It's a record that requires time and patience, but the reward is worth it. Although today I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five, I have a feeling this is going to be a five-star record for me one day. Uh, and my favorite track is a track I mentioned already, A House Is Not A Motel. And that is Forever Changes by Love. So number seven is going to be Younger Than Yesterday by The Birds. Younger Than Yesterday saw the band continuing to integrate elements of psychedelia and jazz into their music, a process that they had begun on their prior record, Fifth Dimension, which was also in my top ten of that year. This album sees the emergence of Chris Hillman as a talented singer-songwriter and a vocalist as well. A few of Hillman's compositions on Younger Than Yesterday are exhibited in country and western influences, and thus can be seen as early indicators of the country rock experimentation, which will be more prevalent on their next two records. Um, starting with Have You Seen Her Face, a Hillman composition, is a very dancey, early Beatlesque track, but with dabs of psychedelia into it as well. Uh, another Hillman track, The Great Time Between, one of my favorite bird songs. Um, to make another Beatles reference, is the best sounding Ringo Beatles song ever. Love this song so much. Um, one of my favorite Crosby tracks is Renaissance Fair. And this is perhaps the most haunting melody in the Birds catalog. Definitely foreshadows some of the themes to their next record. Back to Crosby again, another track I really love is a song called Everybody's Been Burned. I love this song so much. It definitely is a prelude to David Crosby's first solo record. It's very moody, has this jazz influence, kind of a slow burner type of song. Um, although it's regarded, or was regarded, I should say, by critics as a leap forward in terms of musical sophistication from the band, Interesting enough, Crosby had written this song as far back as 1962 when he was just a local folk uh, act. So I would be interested to know what that version sounds like. But anyways, um, this is probably also my favorite vocal performance by Crosby. And in conjunction, I love Roger McGuinn's guitar solo. Very much one of his best during his time in The Birds. And then we have our closing track, Why? 
great song, but there's actually a single version that was recorded when Gene Clark was still in the band that you can find on the deluxe CD edition of 5D. I actually prefer that version of the song, but this version is great too, kind of more in the vein of the sound of this record. My favorite track is the David Crosby tune I spoke of, Everybody's Been Burned, and this is another four and a half out of five stars from me, and that is The Birds Younger Than Yesterday. Okay, number six. Before I introduce number six, um, little disclaimer here. So for my number six, five, and four, I'm going to be kind of talking about mono, and full disclaimer, I'm not an audiophile expert. Um, I consider myself more to be an amateur budget audiophile, if you will. Being able to listen to the music that I enjoy in the best way possible that I can. So that's out of the way. Number six. Number six is going to be Something Else by The Kinks. Something Else is the first Kinks record to be produced by Ray Davis. Before you correct me in the comments below, it is Davis, not Davies. Beat you to it this time. Ray Davis. So it's recorded by Ray Davis, not by their longtime producer, Shell Tammy. Might be saying his name wrong. Don't care. Anyways, using their um, American band to their advantage, this record aims at devoting itself to the soul of English music. Specifically, introspection, satire, and narration sort of formulated from British traditions. While the R&B influences are still present, the Kinks are now incorporating music hall, Baroque, psychedelia, and even bossa nova sounds. So this might be the closest to what the Beatles were doing as far as this year goes. One of my all-time favorite King songs was actually a song written by Dave Davies, and that's Death of a Clown. Um, starting to blossom as a songwriter, sort of the George Harrison of the group, right? Um, very much the secret weapon. This song is um, sort of in the satirical manner of Dylan by exposing some of the exhaustion, but also disconnect as well um, of chaining concerts like Fair Animals, as one of my favorite Rate Your Music users put it. Something that, again, Dylan and the Beatles, for that matter, were experiencing the year prior. Um, this song was initially released as a solo single, but... It was so successful that it ended up on this record. But this track, Dave, shows that his songs could stand against Brother Ray's songs. And this would continue on the next subsequent Kinks records. Another song I really love is a track called Lazy Old Son. And this might be the closest to psychedelia as far as the Kinks go. Literally, the song sounds like Ray and company are on an acid trip. Such a killer tune, and it sounds great, especially in mono. Um, but a song we have to talk about is probably the greatest kink song. Not my favorite, but bar none the greatest kink song. And that, of course, is Waterloo Sunset.
Waterloo Sunset is just an unstoppable melody. It's so catchy, but with deep, sincere songwriting. And like I said, even though it's not my personal favorite, it's top five as far as the kinks go. This song is the entire whole of pop music as far as how well it is constructed and how well it's performed and the recording. I mean, this sounds so of its time, but so fresh as well. This song to me just exemplifies everything that makes the Kinks one of the greatest bands of all time. Um, from Pete Quayliff's descending bass line to Mick Avery's intuitive but perfect drumming to Ray's lyrics, and then you just got Dave slashing away on the guitar. The this, this song paints a vivid picture of a mundane scene, but one filled with just beautiful nuance. Originally, the song prior to this, End of the Season, which is a great song as well, was supposed to end the record. But like a typical record label, they came in, this was already released as a single, and it was slapped on the end of the record. And although I'm not sure if it works as a closing track, um, it needs to be on the record. It just has to be. Like the year before with Face to Face, this era of the kinks, you cannot ignore the singles. Uh, specifically, a song called Autumn Almanac is just another one of my favorite kinks songs. Um, another song, Susanna is Alive, is worth checking out. Really just anything by the kinks from 66 to 71, whether they're full-length albums or EPs or even singles, it's all worth checking out. If you haven't figured it out already, Waterloo Sunset is hands down my favorite song off the record. It's one of my favorite songs from the 60s, and I'm giving this record a four and a half out of five stars. Okay, we are in the top five now. Yes, all right. So with these five remaining records, these are all five out of five stars for me. All five-star records, in my opinion, of course. Um... So here we go, number five. Number five, I have The Piper at the Gates of Dawn by Pink Floyd. Unlike something else, Piper is a record that I've known for a long time. But just recently, picking up a vinyl copy of this on mono just completely changed my perceptive of this record. And a record that has always been amongst one of my Pink Floyd records, but... I didn't always deem it a five-star record, and we'll get into that in a bit. Pink Floyd were already off to a great start um, prior to the release of this record with singles Arnold Lane and C. Emily Play, to me amongst some of their best songs in their whole catalog, which I know is a bold statement to make. This record was supposed to replicate their live performances at London's UFO clubs, which according to Pete Townsend from The Who, he was disappointed with the record because he felt that that wasn't the case. It's hands down the most bizarre, surreal, and trippy thing they've ever done. This is pure psychedelic rock, 
but it's also very avant-garde and sometimes even noisy as well. Noisy in a good way. This record covers a wide range of subjects from space to drugs to scarecrows to gnomes, bicycles, and fairy tales. It's all covered. <laughs> uh, this record doesn't take itself too seriously, which is something I really like, unlike subsequent Pink Floyd records. Sorry, Rob. Um, I love the tongue-in-cheek humor to it. Great songwriting, great arrangements as well, and the instrumentation is fantastic. And this is coming from the band that recorded Dark Side of the Moon. Opening with Astronomy Domine, um, <laughs> this song just simply rules. Um, and this song I've always loved, but again, hearing it in mono was a game changer because the, um, the voices in the beginning, which is from their manager, Pete Jenner, drove me crazy in the stereo version. Just hearing that in both channels back and forth drove me fucking bonkers. Not the case here. You can hear it better. Um, by the way, first time that I could actually hear um, Peter naming the, 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 the planets and all of that as well, too. Um, this song just sets the tone for the record. Going into our track two, Lucifer Sam. I love Rick Wright's keyboards throughout this. Um, this song is very proto-punk. And I say that because there's a post-punk band called True West that does a very faithful yet totally original cover to this song as well that is well worth seeking out. Um, one of my favorite songs off this record, a song I feel like nobody in the Pink Floyd community talks about, is Pow R Talk H. This may be a little controversial. It This is possibly my favorite Pink Floyd instrumental. And they're not doing anything too crazy here. Um, there's a lot of studio manipulation going on, and I think that's why I really enjoy this song. Uh, according to Nick Mason, the four members of Pink Floyd were at Abbey Road Studio recording the record, and right next door to them was the Beatles recording Sgt. Pepper. And Floyd got to sit in on um, the Beatles recording the track Lovely Rita. And Nick Mason goes on to say that the voice effects and the noises, which are similar in Lovely Rita, um, can also be heard in this track as well. Um, so it's cool that they were kind of playing off each other during this time. Another deep cut that I love off this record is Take Up Thy Stethoscope and Walk. Another song that it took me to the mono version to appreciate. It's just this fucking psych freak out. I love the guitar solo from Sid. It kind of gives me like a eight miles high vibe by the birds. Very similar to that track with that Coltrane-esque guitar intro. Um, yeah, this, this song just rips. And it's a song like this that I feel Sid Barrett gets overlooked as a guitar player. And the reason for that is just, well, because of his replacement. But Sid and David Gilmore are 
completely different guitar players. So it's it to me it's a little uh a little silly to compare the two, but I digress. We have the other instrumental on the record, Interstellar Overdrive, and this song combines um sort of like a garage rock rhythm section, but with explosive guitar, an explosive organ. It's bizarre and it rolls. Um, along with Astronomy Domine, this track, interesting enough, were really the only two songs off this record to sort of remain as live staples throughout the band's live set lists. All the way as far as the Animals tour, I believe. My favorite song, though, hands down on this record, is Bike, the closing track. This song is just... It's ridiculous, really. Again, it's like the rest of the record, it just doesn't take itself seriously. And I think that's why I just gravitate towards it. The song is about Barrett's girlfriend at the time, Jennifer Spires, who's actually referred to as Jennifer Gentle in the aforementioned Lucifer Sam, our second track. And the protagonist, whether it's Barrett or not, um, shows Jennifer his bike, which he borrowed. <laughs> But there is a homeless aging mouse that he calls Gerald. And there's also a clan of gingerbread men as well. And I love the line when he tells her, you're the kind of girl who fits in my world. I'm that weirdo that will just out of nowhere just sing that to my fiance, which drives her crazy. This song is just so whimsical it's abstract but again in a childlike whimsical way it just feels like it came right out of a trippy disney movie which side note i miss disney trippy movies but then there's the end of this song which ends with this like music concrete sound collage and then it just fades out it's so Good. So, so good. I wish Pink Floyd made more records like this, but that didn't happen as this is the only full-length record to feature the late, great Sid Barrett. And although I love Pink Floyd and I love what they did after, it does make me wonder what they could have done had they continued this sound had they continued with Sid Barrett. I mentioned already my favorite track is Bike. And I also mentioned this is a five-star record for me. Five stars. All right. In at number four. By the way, I forgot to point out. The, the very 60 psychedelic beard. I hope we dig it. Who cares? All right. Enough. Number four. Number four is a record called Safe as Milk by Captain Beefheart and his Magic Band. Um, where to begin with Beefheart? This is another record that has taken me a while to get into. And I gotta say in retrospect, especially knowing what comes later in the Captain's discography, I wish this was the record I started out with. This record, what's interesting about it, for starters, is 
it has some of the most random musicians on it, in addition to the Magic Band. You have the highly underrated Ry Cooter on guitar. If you don't know Ry Cooter, do yourself a favor and check out Ry Cooter. But it also randomly features uh, the legendary Taj Mahal on percussion as well. And again, it's... We're like, where do you even begin with this record? Well, like most of the psychedelic records that we've been going on about throughout, there are just a wide range of sounds going on here. We've got blues, we've got rock and roll, psychedelia, R&B, doo-wop, avant-garde, and even some bubblegum pop as well. But what I really like about this record is that Captain Beefheart is an example of a phenomenal songwriter that takes chances and pushes the envelope. Very similar to my number one record of this year. But isn't that what rock and roll is all about? At least it should be. Pushing boundaries. Our opening track, Sure Enough and Yes I Do, opens this record with just a thumping straight Delta Blues that just takes a turn midway through the song with Ry Cooter's guitar. You have our second track, Zigzag Wanderer, which very much continues where track one left off. So the classic one, two, track one, track two punch there. And I love B-Fart's vocals. And again, Ry Cooter. Fucking Ry Cooter, people. Then we go into a song called Call On Me, kind of in the vein of Pink Floyd's Lucifer Sam. Also, dare I say, proto-punk. And this song's another song that kind of takes a left turn where it ends with this twangy guitar solo. Again, I do believe this is Ry Cooter on guitar. Um, I know he's not on every track, but again, this is just like, this is just taking every genre that he was just into, Captain Beefheart that is, and just putting it into a blender and just seeing what comes out. There's a song on here called I'm Glad that I just adore. It's this quirky soul ballad with doo-wop harmonies. And I'll get into mono in a minute with this record. But this might be the one track that I do prefer the stereo version to. But both versions sound phenomenal. Um, also, fun side note, I guess... Um, Listening to the song Flower Punk by the Mothers of Invention and then going into I'm Glad is the coolest accidental discovery I've ever made. Just listening to Apple Music and both songs came on back to back and it was the coolest thing ever. So try that out one day. Closing side one, we have a song called Electricity. Uh, this is just like psychedelic Rockability is the best way I could describe this. Kind of reminds me of the song There She Goes by the Velvet Underground. Side two of this record is fantastic as well, with songs like Abba Zabba, Plastic Factory, and the closing track Autumn's Child. This record is the equivalent of an artist taking the musical rule book and just throwing it out the window. Kind of makes Captain Beefheart, in a way, one of the first punk rockers. Just saying. All of that aside, though, I would say if you're 
gotta check out Captain Beefheart again. Start with this record, as this is probably his safest record, and I use that term. I use that term pretty loosely. The bonus CD is also worth checking out. Um, there is a song called Safe as Milk that was recorded after this record came out. And Safe as Milk, the song was recorded at a jam session. And it was on the Mirror Man Sessions record, which that's a whole thing in of itself. Um, you, you have to read into that. That's a whole whole other can of worms, the Mirror Man Sessions. I'm not going to get into that here. Um, but let's talk about mono for this record. Again, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt in that I consider myself, again, to be an amateur audiophile. But to me, the mono version of this record just has a, a immediacy and power that isn't quite fully there with the stereo version. But having said that, this is going to be the last uh, record on mono that we do talk about, as in the next three records I've I've just I've yet to hear them in mono, and I'm happy with how they sound in stereo. But anyways, this is another five-star record, and my favorite track off this record is I'm Glad. Check that song out in both stereo and mono. Okay, at number three we have Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by the Beatles. You may have heard of them. Andy, how can you have Sgt. Pepper's at number three? How? I just like one and two better. But make no mistake, this is a five-star record, people. And I don't know, well, I, I, I do know that I have nothing new to contribute when talking about this record. So I'm just going to tell you the same thing that everybody else tells you. Pepper is the symbol of peak psychedelic music. This record was a key figure to the counterculture movement. This is the record that defines the baby boomer generation and the summer of love. But it's a masterpiece. It's a fucking masterpiece. And what makes this record so good is that its musical influences start from the end of 19th century music. And it goes up until 60s music. But it sounds futuristic even by today's standards. This was the first Beatles record to come out after their retirement of touring. Revolver was recorded when the Beatles were still touring, and while they were doing a lot of the experimentation on Pepper, on Revolver as well, they weren't able to replicate those songs live, part of the reason why they ceased touring, among others as well. But by no longer touring, the Beatles were able to spend time in the recording studio. And in addition to that, they afforded themselves by using an alter ego. An alter ego band, that is. Band name. The Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And 
by approaching this mentality, this gave them the ability creative freedom, even if technically it still bears the Beatles' name. I mentioned Revolver, and in a way, Sgt. Pepper's is kind of a Revolver 2.0. I remember seeing an interview with George Harrison um, saying that he feels that Rubber Soul and Revolver could have been a double album. And I don't quite agree with that. If anything, I think that could be applied to Revolver and Sgt. Pepper. Um, as they both share the same level of innovation, the experimental spirit is there and the global musical styles as well. And even though I'm a bigger fan of Revolver, Sgt. Pepper does take this a step further, as it really is meant to be experienced as one full piece. This record, by approaching it that way, forever changed the course of pop music history. And it's proof that popular music doesn't need to be stupid. Let's talk about some tracks here. Uh, one of my favorite songs is Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Yes, I'm aware it has the initials LSD. Yes, LSD was a drug that the Beatles consumed around this time period. And this song, as a result, has kind of fueled debates and illusions that can be difficult to contradict. But I think it's just coincidental. And Lennon has kind of talked about that. And he has actually said that this was a, um, this song was inspired by a drawing um, by his son, Julian Lennon. And also kind of inspired from themes from Alice in Wonderland. Which if you listen to the lyrics, definitely lines up. I don't know. You be the one to decide as far as that goes. But either way... I feel that Lucy in the Sky with Diamond is one of the best Beatles songs ever. I love Lennon's dreamy, like, vocals. Um, there's a lot of very cool usage of double tracking. This song just creates a psychedelic atmosphere um, that is just so rich in depth and sound. One of my favorite Paul McCartney songs ever in the Beatles catalog is a song called She's Leaving Home. This song kind of reminds me of Here, There, and Everywhere off of Revolver. Similar to that track, there are just these lush, beautiful, Baroque pop vocals that just make this song so gorgeous. But the arrangement is incredible as well. And I just love the lush harmonies from all four of the Beatles throughout. Something that we will start to see less and less of on subsequent Beatles records, unfortunately. We also have to talk about George Harrison's Within You, Without You. Um, this expands on the Indian classical um, arrangement that we first heard on Love You Too from Revolver. And Within You, Without You is a song that Harrison wrote based off his mentor at the time, Ravi Shankar. And it was basically loosed off of a very long piece, like 30, 40 minutes, if I remember correctly. And George wrote a mini version of that with sounds similar to the Ravi Shankar piece. And that's where we end up with Within You, Without You. Interesting enough, Harrison's the only Beatle Featured in this song, however, there are 400 musicians 
featured from the Asian music circle. This song, to me, symbolizes what Harrison sort of represented at the time, in that a musician who didn't really have the head of the Beatles anymore, but was physically there. You can't talk about Sgt. Pepper without discussing bar none the best track, and that's our closer, A Day in the Life. A Day in the Life started as an unfinished song by Lennon, but was then complemented by a sequence that McCartney came up, that middle section. Just like Tomorrow Never Knows, again from Revolver, the Beatles just break all boundaries with this song incorporating classical music, popular music, various avant-garde techniques. This is a contemporary work of art. Art rock at its peak, and kind of pioneering progressive rock a little bit as well. Um, this would also very much be the peak of Lennon and McCartney as far as their partnership, as they kind of start to drift throughout the rest of the Beatles' tenure. I, this whole record's fucking great. When I'm 64, I, of course you can't forget Ringo's with a little help from my friends, Lovely Rita, Getting Better, blah, 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 blah. It's a perfect record. And despite that, even though Sgt. Pepper may not have a immense amount of some of the best Beatles songs, unlike, say, Revolver or The White Album or even Abbey Road... Sgt. Pepper is hands down the most coherent album in the Beatles canon and probably has the least amount of filler as well. If I didn't make it clear, if I didn't state it already, which I believe I did several times actually, this is a five out of five star record and my favorite song again is A Day in the Life and that is my number three. All right, number two. And number two is... The other Beatles record released in 1967, and that is Magical Mystery Tour. Yes, so the Beatles released two albums in 67. And the thing with the Beatles is the, the British versions of the albums are what are considered canon, right? Magical Mystery Tour kind of breaks that rule. Magical Mystery Tour was also released in the UK, but it was released as a six-song EP, which is the entirety of Side One, which I'm referring to the US version. So the US version, Side One is the EP, and then Side Two were all of the singles that the Beatles had released uh, prior to Sgt. Pepper, actually, in 1967. This is another one of those weird instances, kind of like Nina Simone's Wild is the Wind, where the record execs had a good idea. But you got to remember, this is a different time period as well, where record execs um, allowed creativity and didn't interfere with the creative process. Anyways, let's talk about Magical Mystery Tour. For me, this is the better of the two records. And really, we're just talking by, you know, small hairs because 
Both of them are five-star records, in my opinion. But what makes Magical Mystery Tour work so well, in my opinion, is that it brings together the two sides of the Beatles in a sort of direct confrontation. Side A very much emphasizes experimentation, adventure, flavorful textures. Now, this is partially in due to the fact that Side A was supposed to serve as the soundtrack to the film Magical Mystery Tour. That film ended up being a disaster. One of these days I will watch it. But we're talking about the music. Side B, on the other hand, presents the more conventional works as far as the compositions go. Um, at least conventional to what they were doing during this period. And honestly, what makes Magical Mystery Tour... Pepper's Equal is how it's just so kaleidoscopic as a whole, like Sgt. Pepper. I just think it's better. But this is easily the Beatles' most experimental record. So, we're at the end of April 1967. Sgt. Pepper has just wrapped up. Beatles start recording the tracks for what would initially be the EP for the film, blah, 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 blah becomes a whole record. The title track, Magical Mystery Tour, I love this song. I love Weird McCartney. We need more Weird Macca in this world. Magical Mystery Tour very much gives you a preview of the journey that we're about to endure, like Sgt. Pepper's um, opening title track does as well. Then we go into The Fool on the Hill, which is, I think, one of Paul's best lyrics. It's kind of like the most John Lennon-like McCartney song, if that makes sense. Um, it shines by its atmosphere. It's also consolidated by the poetry of its author, who puts in a scene of a lonely man cut and misunderstood by others. Feels very Dylan in that aspect. We gotta talk about George Harrison's Blue Jay Way. I may be in the minority here, but I love this song. It's so beautiful in its abstract nature. I love songs like this that capture a balance of, of the weird and the accessible nature of music as well. Blue Jay Way is definitely the most adventurous song on the record, and maybe in their entire catalog. It's also probably the most psychedelic and avant-garde thing they did. And what I also like about this song is it captures the whole sort of spiritual state that the band was in during this time period. Um... John may have been the one to embrace psychedelia the most, but I would argue that George's songs were the most psychedelic. Blue Jay Way, Within You, Without You, we just talked about. And even a song like It's All Too Much, which was a Pepper outtake that made its way onto the Yellow Submarine soundtrack. And I'll deviate and just tell you how Fucking great that song is, since Yellow Submarine will not be making my list for 69. Um, if you haven't heard it, check out It's All Too Much. 
Of course, you have John Lennon's I Am The Walrus, the equivalent of a psych nightmare. Hot take. First hip-hop song ever. I don't know. Just saying. Just saying. Like Pepper with A Day in the Life, you cannot talk about Magical Mystery Tour without talking about Strawberry Fields Forever. Strawberry Fields Forever is my favorite Beatles song. But you also can't talk about Strawberry Fields without talking about Penny Lane. Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane were released as singles, with Strawberry Fields being the A side and Penny Lane being the B side. And these were released prior to Pepper. Bar none, the greatest A side, B side single released of all time. If Strawberry Fields Forever is the peak of psychedelia, then Penny Lane is the peak of pop excellence. Again, doesn't have to be stupid, people. Pop music can push boundaries. Magical Mystery Tour is a 5 out of 5, and again, my favorite track is Strawberry Fields Forever. All right, here we go. Number one. So my number one. You may have noticed that in 65 and 66, those lists were a little more um, diverse as far as genres go. Whereas this year, it's been all psychedelic music. Makes sense. 67 is known to be the year of psychedelic music. Having said that, though, this may be my only, not may, this is my only non-psychedelic rock record. And that is The Velvet Underground and Nico by The Velvet Underground. I'm going to start out with a quote from Brian Eno. The first Velvet Underground album only sold 10,000 copies, but everyone who bought it formed a band. This quote by music critics has kind of become a tad bit of a cliche at this point, but it's the truth. David Bowie, T-Rex, Roxy Music, Brian Eno, Patti Smith, Joy Division, Talking Heads, all other post-punk bands, R.E.M., Nirvana, The Strokes. These are only just a few examples. This record is the anti-everything. It's the anti-Dylan, it's the anti-Stones, it's the anti-Beatles, it's the anti-Phil Spector. Lou Reed's Dylan-esque voice didn't churn out introspective poetry. It told plain stories with poetry. I love the juxtaposition of this record between the ugliness and beauty. This record is very much the soundtrack to New York City in the late 60s. Completely opposite to what was going on out in L.A., this record is complex in its simplicity. Our opener, Sunday Morning, which not only is so hauntingly gorgeous, but it may be the most psychedelic-sounding song on the record. 
You have John Cale's viola in contrast with Nico's background vocals that create a very hypnotic atmosphere. Track two, I'm Waiting for the Man. This song hits so hard. It doesn't get any more rock and roll than this, but also doesn't get any more punk rock than this. I love the line, I'm waiting for my man, $26 in my hand. Up to Lexington, 125. Feel sick and dirty, more dead than alive. I'm waiting for my man. So good. Then we have our third track, Femme Fatale, which is our first Nico feature track on lead vocals. And I love Reed's backing vocals on this. He just sounds so fucking adorable and awesome in contrast with Nico's voice. Um, Femme Fatale is very much about, um, not so much about a girl and her boyfriend as far as the boyfriend leaving her. It's about her, the girlfriend, breaking the boyfriend's heart, which Nico was very notorious for that. She dated Lou Reed and Jim Morrison, uh, and those are just two people that she dated, and, uh, yeah, very much uh, <laughs> stomped their hearts. They were both infatuated with her. Then we get into track four, Venus and Furs. And this is John Cale all over. Very avant-garde. And this song, what's interesting is to me, when you listen to those first two Velvet records, Cale and Reed are very much like the anti-Jiger Richards or even the anti-Lennon McCartney in a way. The, John Cale's viola is just all over this this track. It's it's noisy. It's scratchy. Another line I love is from this song. I am tired. I am weary. I could sleep for a thousand years. A thousand dreams that would awake me. Different colors made of tears. Moving on, we have uh, a song, Run, Run, Run which is probably the least impressive song on this record, but I still love it. Uh, just classic, noisy garage rock, but in the vein of the Velvet Underground. Then we end side one with All Tomorrow Parties, which is our second Nico track. And this is a very somber way to close side one. Also, fun fact, the music festival All Tomorrow's Parties is named after this song. Again, solidifying the influence that this band continues to have. Opening up side two is my favorite song off this record, and quite possibly one of my favorite songs of all time, and that's Heroin. Heroin, to me, is a perfect song. It's just, it's noise throughout, and... <clears throat> What's interesting about this song is there are these noisy crescendos throughout that, to me, are what I would imagine going through a heroin trip would be like. If anything, this song should be a disclaimer for people to not do heroin. Don't use heroin, people. But what's interesting is... Lou reads lyrics to this song because it's almost like he's describing... Heroin as a love affair, not just to the drug, but almost like a love affair to a former heroine of his. Heroin, be the death of me. 
heroin. It's my wife and it's my life because a mainer to my vein leads to a center in my head and then I'm better off than dead. So, you know, it's clear that it's about the drug, but again, you can interpret it as this completely other thing as well. It's such an incredible song. And despite, like I said, being one of my favorite songs of all time, still not my favorite by this band. You'll have to stay tuned for that. But we'll move on to the next track. There she goes again. Punk rockability, for sure, with this song. I think I mentioned this song before when we talked about uh, Floyd, I think. I don't even remember anymore. This video's getting long. Then we go into the last Nico track, I'll Be Your Mirror. And this song is very much a good sneak peek of her first solo record, Chelsea Girl, which Lou Reed and John Cale um, helped with that record as far as producing. And I even think they wrote some of the songs, too. We have Black Angel's Death Song, and this might be the first freak folk song. Very much gives me a Tim Buckley vibe, almost. Then we have our closer, European Sun. Now, objectively... It's the worst song on the record, but I love it. This song very much foreshadows their next record, White Light, White Heat. So, disclaimer, if you don't like European Sun, which a lot of people don't, uh, you're going to be a little disappointed with their next record. It's ironic that The Velvet Underground and Nico came out the same year as Sgt. Pepper, Though it didn't have the instant impact that Pepper had, The Velvet Underground and Nico is its equal in terms of musical impact that it had on 20th and 21st century popular music. For me personally, this record was a restart button for my musical tastes when I first heard it 12 years ago. This record just proves, again, that rock music can and should push boundaries, not try to be overindulgent like hard rock music that would come, or even some progressive rock music for that matter. Sorry, my, my fellow co-host. This is the greatest debut album of all time. Maybe not my favorite, but it's, it's up there. This record, again, changed my life in the same way that Pet Sounds and A Love Supreme from two years prior did as well. Very formative of my musical tastes, a formative record throughout my 20s, and just a record that I just continue to get something um, new out of every time. It's my favorite album of 1967, but it's a top 50 of all time as well. That's how much I adore this record. All right, and that was my top 10 for 1967. Um, listen, I'm not giving you a timeline for 1968. What I will say is I'm hoping to have both 68 and 69 done before the end of 2022, but... Given my track record, we'll see how that goes. But if you enjoyed this video, like, subscribe, all of that stuff. Uh, if you're you're listening to me on streaming, again, we're on Apple 
what is it, podcast, Spotify, Anchor, all of them, we're there. Um, leave a review if you feel like it. Be kind in the comments below. I love um, getting conversations going in the comments section. I need to be more, um, more engaged on top of that. But again, be polite and just know this is just my opinion at the end of the day. This is not Andy saying these are the best records. No, it's just my fucking opinion. And that's that. So uh, maybe you will even leave me your top 10 as well. But uh, until next time, it's been a journey. Bye, guys.